Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 110 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I am Tim Robertson, the host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thank you, you for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomena and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You Observer's Notebook. And I'd like to take this moment to thank all of our Patreons who help support the podcast. Jerry White, Jason Inman. Matt Will, Steve Seedentop, Matthew Benton, Ken Poshedley, Stephen Bennett, Michael Moyer, Sean Dills, Frank Schnick, Damian Alice, and Charles White. <clears throat> Thank you very much for your support of the podcast. We couldn't have it without you. If you'd like to join the Alpo, you can for as little as $18 a year. For more information, you can find us at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And you can find the ALPO on Facebook as well. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And yes, this here podcast has a Facebook page as well. Just search for The Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please, please, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss an episode. And now, episode 110 of The Observer's Notebook. Enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast. And today we have a special guest, uh, Bill Paolini. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Yeah. Um, now, this subject we're going to talk about has been on my bucket list since I started the podcast in 2017. And it was like in my top five of topics. And I just haven't found anyone to have on that could speak. Uh, as an expert so on this topic. all this time to get to the most important part of all the equipment. Okay. It really is. It really is. And for lunar and planetary observing, I'm talking about the use of color filters. Mm-hmm. And Bill recently wrote an article that got my attention in cloudy nights. And before we get into that, though, why don't you just give everybody a little bit of background about yourself, Bill? Um, well, as far as my astronomy background, I, I guess I got interested in astronomy somewhere around the first grade and uh and and me and my best friend back then would uh, would would do reports in school on ufos and and things like that and uh, and then my neighbor we would just sit lay down in the yard and look at the sky and wondering what some of those moving things were every once in a while <laughs> um 
course, they were satellites, but to us, they were spaceships. <laughs> so that was always fun. And then I, I, when I was 10 is when I got my first telescope, and I've had telescopes ever since. And what was that first telescope? Oh, you know, it was one of those department store refractors. A little 60 millimeter? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Long things, very difficult to find anything with. Right. <laughs> and then quickly uh, quickly went from that to like a uh, four and a quarter inch uh, um, Newtonian. Uh, and I lived in New Jersey, uh, so we'd always be going to Edmonds, to Edmonds Scientific. Oh, my. And, uh, boy, that, that place would definitely spur all your interest in science and, and stuff because the showroom was just a, 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 a wonderland of, of everything, astronomy and everything science. And then their, their surplus room had all the spare part optics and, and different things. And it was just a, <clears throat> it was just a magical place. <laughs> yeah, I remember devouring the Edmund Scientific Catalog when I was younger, just wanting everything in it. Yeah, well, the, the showroom made the catalog look, eh. <laughs> yeah, I remember the lasers. That's what I remember most. Yeah. And, and they had that big um, uh, periscope in the middle of the room, which worked. Wow. View out the top of the building with it. So, Very cool. All kind of crazy stuff. Great store. So sad that they uh, that they closed their showroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's your current observing equipment? Um, primarily, I use a uh, four-inch uh, Takahashi TSA 102. Nice. Um, and uh, I use a 81 millimeter Vixen 81S APO. Okay. Uh, which gets a fair amount of use because it's just so darn convenient. Um, you know, you never have to wait for cool down, small. You can just pick it up and throw it outside really quickly. Right. Um, and it really uh, does some amazing views for 81 millimeter. It often really surprises me. And uh, and then I'll once in a while I'll take out the uh, the APM 152 ED doublet um, for when I want to go go deeper on things. Um, but pretty much I, I'm satisfied with, with with the four inch aperture for for most everything except galaxies. Galaxies I need the six inch to 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 get some views better with those. Okay, and you're retired? Yes, retired like three years ago. Oh, congratulations. From the uh, federal government. Ah, okay. Nice, nice. And so this topic, uh, there's a lot of basic guides out there for using color filters, but for planet, lunar and planetary observing. But you really did a lot of digging into this, a lot of research. Can you talk about um, some of the experiments and analysis you used with your variety of setups? Um, well, what I was very concerned with when I when I did the views was keeping track of the exit pupils I was using. So when you put an eyepiece and put that with your objective, you use a formula for the two of those to calculate what the uh, resulting exit pupil is, which is basically how bright the, uh, the, the view is going to be. Um, and it kind of like, once you understand exit pupils, it kind of levels everything out and you don't have to worry about apertures because every aperture can usually work with a good range of exit, of exit pupils. Can you um, now, now for some of our listeners might not know what an exit pupil is. Can you just give them a brief definition? Uh, yeah, an exit pupil is actually when you put the eyepiece in the telescope, and of course it forms an image, and the image it forms in space above the uh, above the eye lens has a diameter, and and it's a it's a little circle of a certain diameter, so it can be anything from you know, seven millimeters to six five four three down to a fraction of a millimeter in size. And and generally, well, not generally, but um, 
the larger the exit pupil, the lower the magnification, uh, hence brighter the image, and it just follows the normal rules of uh, of, uh, of light, where um, <clears throat> it, it's basically the, the area of that little circle. So if you double the circle size, then you get four times the brightness, um, but your magnification goes down. So it, it, it's a very handy thing to keep track of when you observe what the exit pupils are that you're using, uh, because you'll soon discover that regardless of the scope you use, you, for one type of object, you tend to go with a certain set of exit pupils and then mm -hmm. another one, you go larger ones um, and such like that. So, you know, my, my, my filter analysis was basically running around planetary views. Uh, so I was keeping the exit pupil at what are normal exit pupils for most APOs for, for planetary, which is anywhere between... Uh, one millimeter, one and a half millimeters, all the way down to half millimeter. Um, sometimes you can get smaller, but half millimeter exit pupil is also that rule of thumb 50 times per inch. So 50 right. times per inch of aperture works out to almost be exactly a half a half millimeter exit pupil. Okay. Now, what kind of equipment did you use in your analysis? Uh, I used uh, primarily, the, again, the TSA-102. Um, Although I, I took out the other two scopes, the 81 and the 152, uh, occasionally, but was centering it mostly around the uh, around the 102, and um, and selected a prism diagonal for that, uh, so I didn't alter things. That dielectrics tend to wash out the colors and, and have a little more scatter in them, uh, and and some mirrors, like silver mirrors, will, will shoot up the reds. In, in the view, uh, much stronger, you know. So, so they skew things in uh, a bit. Uh, a prism keeps everything pretty much as natural as it can be, um, you know. And it's basically glass, just like the objective of your lens. So it, it's kind of the purest thing you can use. Okay. Where were you? What was your observing location? Um, it was where I live, which is Spotsylvania, Virginia, south of uh, Washington yeah. D.C. All right. Uh, about an hour or sixty or seventy miles, and um, my sky darkness is, is around, uh, well, basically, when the moon's not out, I can see the whole Milky Way and dark lanes. And oh, nice. Like on the SQM meter, it's like uh, 21.2 or 21.3. Nice. So it's a, so, good, site. It's a good, good dark site. So what was your process for judging the effectiveness of the variety of color filters? Well, I had I had three beautiful planets up at that time, which was Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. And I was basing this all off of how their planetary performance for the filters. So I, I used those three objects um, and was looking for uh, which which colors really brought most of the details in the planet, made them easier to see um, or accentuated them. Um, so rather, I wasn't looking for, you know, well, which one just, just, Accentuates this feature and maybe nothing else. Uh, I was looking for what's a what's what's a general what's a general color filter on the planet that kind of do, does a good job overall and 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 makes the view look uh, improved uh, as if uh, you know the scene was a little better or the mm. were a little better. Now a lot of different manufacturers have color filters. Um, I think Mike said it's from Orion from many, many, many years ago. Yeah. They just screw into the back of the eyepiece, but they also have filter wheels and things like that. What yeah. to, what was your setup? Uh, my, my setup was the, the old manual way, which was okay. putting them in the bottom. However, um, 
when I was doing comparisons between filters and I need to do some rapid changes sometimes, uh, that's when I'll use a long eye relief eyepiece and actually just move the filter, either you know, set it on top of the uh, baby okay. eye lens or, or just hold it and, and move them between it so I can get some rapid rapid changes. And for that, I, I usually use the, uh, the Pentax X, XWs, which have 20 millimeters of eye relief. And, um, and the interesting thing is too with, uh, you know, every filter actually changes the focus point when you put it on the bottom of the eyepiece. Mm-hmm. Depending on the thickness of the filter, that focus point will change differently. Um, but when you hold the filter between the eye lens and your eye, there's no focus difference. So you can move them back and forth. There's no, no need for refocus and, uh, and, and easier to make some comparisons. And once then I narrowed it down that this one was doing really good, um, then I would put it on the bottom of the eyepiece and do some you know, critical observing to see what features are actually coming through better. Okay. Um, let's start with the moon. You used filters on the moon. What kind of filters did you try and what seemed to work best? And did it, like the phase of the moon matter at all? No, no, the, the, the phase of the moon didn't matter. Although for the full moon, it kind of makes it better use of filters because, you know, it's flat lit. There's not a lot of side shadows. And, and then it ends up that, you know, that the filter can actually be more help during the full moon than, you know, when you're looking at the Terminator when the, at, a, at a phase, you really don't need any assistance from the filter because everything's side lit, lots of deep, dark shadows, and, and, and everything is, uh, is, is really, really nicely seen that way. So it, it's more of a thing for, in my opinion, looking at the Maria and the various subtle features within the Maria on the moon, the dark regions. Um, and you know, and the ejecta, which is the the, the white streaks that come off the craters uh, from the impacts, and and so filters that that could accentuate that and, and make those those come through a little bit better. Um, and I also looked at daytime as well. Uh, I wanted to see what kind of filters did did a better job of bringing okay. the contrast down on the moon during daytime observing for those that might want to do that. Okay, now if we could jump back just a little bit, the, the fil- all the different color filters have a number associated with them. I believe that's a Rattan number. Yes, that's a Rattan number. Okay, and and it just tells you identifies a certain color. Like eight would be like a light yellow filter type thing. Yeah, and there's actually a resource online if you do a search. There's a, a PDF file out there that actually shows the spectrum uh, of of uh, each of the Rattan filters. Uh, so at least you can get an idea of what it's passing and what it's not passing. Okay. So for nighttime look of the moon, did you have a particular filter that worked the best, that brought out the most detail? Um, for me, let's see, the moon, I think I was, uh, it was really a, a stacked filter. So it was either the 82A with a Bader moon and sky glow filter, or it was the Bader contrast filter with the number eight yellow. Um, those two stacked together, brought out the contrast, the 82A stack made, kept the moon a little bit more natural looking, a little bit blue, but a little bit blue kind of looks more natural for the moon. Um, whereas the, the, the warmer, uh, number eight yellow, um, a little bit unnatural, but, uh, so it depends what your, your preferences are. If you like warmer views, go with that. Uh, if you don't, then, uh, if you like cooler blues, then, then use the 82. All right. I'm not real familiar with the Bader Moon and Sky Glow and Contrast Booster. What are, can you briefly describe those? Yeah, they're they're called like um, what they popularly I think referred to as notch filters. So it's not 
Uh, they, they've got certain areas where they fully transmit, other areas where they partially, other areas where they don't. It sort of like goes up and down all over the place. And okay. the moon and sky glow is, again, meant to just just reduce the moon and sky glow in, in the in, in the sky when, when you're looking at things. The contrast booster specifically made to boost contrast on planets. Okay. Now, do these improve the photography as well? And was that photography? Yeah, astrophotography. Have you oh, used them? Um, that I wouldn't know. I'm not an astrophotographer. I, I did did okay. that way back in my early life with uh, film cameras and hand tracking. Okay. <laughs> with with Newtonians way, way, way back in time and, uh, you know, waited a week for the processing and the film to come back uh-huh. to see one good image and a bunch of blurry ones. <laughs> So I, I don't really, uh, it's just too tedious for me. No, I, I'm, I'm with you in that. I'm an observer. That's what I do. I've got a, I've got a, uh, CCD camera, but you know, mm-hmm. I try to use it and then I look online for photographs. I go, yeah, I, I, I don't have the patience right now for it. Yeah. Yeah. Now you said you did some daytime observing of the moon as well, using filters. Yes. Can you talk about that. Um, yeah, with the daytime observing, what you kind of want to do is you want something that's going to darken the sky, get the background sky darker without darkening so much the target that you're looking at. Um, and, and in that case, um, it, it's, a, it's a straight polarizing filter. And okay. depending on how far the, the object is from the sun, the further away it is, when you turn that polarizer, the darker you're going to get that background sky. Um, and then the next thing is what you're going to, stack with it to kind of bring out the contrast of the object you're looking at. And um, in this case, daytime, it was a, a light red filter kind of worked best to me. And so, so the moon was not natural colored, but mm-hmm. it really brought out the deep shadows and the bright brights better. So you had more contrast, mm-hmm. even though it was a daytime view. And I guess that kind of makes sense because, um, you know, the, the atmosphere primarily scatters blue light. Uh, which is why the sky's blue, and mm-hmm. it doesn't scatter very much the, the, the wavelengths in, in, in the red red realm. So hmm. uh, the, the red kind of just limits limits itself to that region of the spectrum, which means all the contrast came through better on the moon. Uh, Interesting. So, yeah. And you were able to pick up pretty uh, some fine details with. Oh yeah, daytime? it was just it was just as satisfying almost as nighttime viewing. Wow, I could, I could get all the way down to at least. Uh, a one millimeter exit pupil and and close to a half. Um, so you know a one millimeter exit pupil and like a uh, uh, an eight inch f six telescope, you know, a typical Newtonian. Um, so that'd be the equivalent of using a six millimeter. I'd be two hundred times. Um, so that's plenty good for, for getting lots of good details on. I've never thought about observing the moon seriously during the daytime. Yeah. But yeah, that, well, yeah. You, a lot of times the night clouds over. <laughs> yeah, this is true. <laughs> How can I get more observing time here? <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to have to try that. And, and the yeah, filters yeah. best for that, you said, were the red? Yeah, the 82 red? A, or 80, 23A, I'm sorry, 23A. 23A, light red, and, and, and stacked with a polarizer and then rotating it so the sky got dark. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So um, it was really a nice combination. So I'm going to have to try that. Very cool. Now, one one of the opposite for for uh, for Venus, and Dave. yeah, and and that's where I want to go next. I want to talk about Venus because it is the one planet that you need filters. 
to see oh, yeah. any, any well, kind of detail day or night on the planet. If, if uh, well, unless you can get your XP put down small enough so that you're dim dim enough, um, then sometimes you'll get some of the clouds clouds coming through um, on, on the atmosphere. Not not a lot. I've never seen a lot of clouds on Venus. I have seen some. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to see them more hugging the Terminator, uh, where it dims out a lot. Okay. Uh, from there, but um, and I've seen you know those clouds with my four inch PSA one or two. All right. So you you've used this or part of your research was looking at Venus during the daytime. Yeah, and and that was immensely fun. It was a little difficult to find it, but mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but with binoculars, uh, you know, searching around there, it stuck out really really easy with that with binoculars. So just looked on my uh, my Stellarium program, um, um, which you know shows you where the stars are at a particular moment, and and then went outside and kind of looked in that area. And uh, it was easy to find with binoculars and once now with binoculars and it's really bright as bright as all bright as daytime. <laughs> it's great, mm-hmm. you know, through the finder scope and then through the telescope. It was it was uh, nicely very bright too. So once you found it with binoculars, you could could you see it with the naked eye? No, no, okay. Still naked eye. Okay. All right. So what type of filters were you using for Venus during the day? Uh this time it was going to the blue the, instead of the oh. uh, instead of the red, and um, so the ADA blue uh, with with the uh, with stacked with the polarizer is what what did the best, um, and that's a little bit darker blue. Well, the ADA is you know it's not too dark, but uh, it just seemed more natural for Venus. It did bring out some of the clouds as well uh, on it, which was nice. Um, <coughs> And it just worked out really well. It was very actually enjoyable observing observing Venus during the daytime. Now, have you done any of your uh, observing of Venus in the evening? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's immensely bright uh, in the evening. It's just uh, I'll use a polarizer and a neutral density filter um, just to knock it down. I generally don't like um, using a filter on it at, at night. Okay. Yeah, I've always been told that like the 47 i believe it's a violet filter really knocks down some of the brightness and allows it, you to see does, you know what my after doing this test all those dark filters like the uh, 23 or 25 dark red and, mm-hmm. and the 47 violet and and all those things i found them actually useless um they really on so much light that i couldn't get enough mag- magnification out of the scope so i couldn't get to a small enough exit pupil where I could get lots of detail on on the planet or whatever with that dark color filter, which just dimmed it out too much, and and ended up losing all the all, all the subtle subtle details on the planet. So I really found out through use of all those filters that those dark ones were just not good at all at the small exit pupils, uh, okay. like one millimeter, to one and a half millimeter, to one to a half millimeter. Um, so really, it doesn't matter what the aperture is again. Right. It, the exit pupil uh, that matters. So if I was using some kind of very large scope where I'd be getting high magnification at the larger exit pupil, like two millimeters or something or three, then then they might have um, been of some benefit, but that means I'd be using a you know, 12 inch, 16 inch, uh, something big that's gonna get me near 200 times or 180 you know, times or so to uh, get some decent image scale on the planet. 
All right. And that brings me to Mars. Well, Mars just was at opposition, had showed some very, very good views this past year. And I'm sure you had an opportunity to use your filters with Mars. Yes, I did. And I uh, was waiting for this opposition. It was amazing how large Mars was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the best overall filter uh, was the Bader Contrast Booster, that uh, notch type filter I was talking to you about, mm. especially made to do all those things. And, and and what was nice about it is um, it it darkened the view just a little, um, which generally makes some of the overly bright features then more visible, um, especially if there's a dark region next to it. So like the uh, the Maria, which are which are um, which are dark on Mars, you'll see more edge details if you can dim it down a little. Um, but it also kept all the colors pretty much natural looking for Mars. It altered them just a little bit, but it really looked like the same color palette for Mars. So it was really nice. Um, and what it did is, and like I tell this to people who ask, it's like, if you don't get a good, sharp, clean view of the planet, then the filter's not really going to help. Right. First, your seeing's got to be good enough, and your mm-hmm. pollination and, and its thermal equilibrium's got to be nice. So, so that you're looking at a good view of the planet without a filter, then when you put the filter in, You'll, you'll, some of these other details will pop better, or the contrast between the lights and the darks will be accentuated. But you know, if you got a, if you got um, a relatively soft view or, or, or not so crisp of a view, the filter is not going to make, is not going to change that uh, because that's the atmosphere that, that, that's doing that um, to you. So yeah, so that's, that's an excellent you, point. You put the filter on. It, yeah, and it's you put the filter like the beta contrast filter on, and it all of a sudden seems like the scene just got better. Like, hmm. it, like the scene's like, oh, now it's a little better because all the features are now more distinct. And and um, so it, it's not like, you know, a big day and night difference or everything. It's just like, uh, if you can just imagine, you know, a, a, a really good night compared to a good night on, on the view. And it just gives it that little bump that makes everything just very pleasing. And, um, but there were some filters though that did some, neat things which you know the polar caps if you want to get those polar caps to really blaze brighter so they're easier to see or the lin haze than something like a 30 magenta um, ah. which is a, a difficult fine filter it's, there's only one uh, that i know of which is vernon scope mm-hmm. uh, that makes it uh, you can get them in some camera filters so you might be able to find a two inch one uh, if you go to the camera market and then the other one was the uh, the, the 58 green which is a relatively dark green now what that did which was just amazing to see because uh, that, well, on the polar caps, there's a region at the rim of the polar caps um, where it gets darker. It's called the Lowell Band. And sometimes it's not, it's there, but it's just not visible uh, to the eye. Sometimes it is visible to the eye. Sometimes it's not so dark, so it's not visible to the eye. And when I was looking at the, uh, just like a month before opposition with Mars, um, the polar cap was still large. And and when I put the 58 green filter, all of a sudden it's like the polar cap brightens up, and there's a big dark dark zone right around the rim of it. So it looked like a big bullseye. In the bottom really? Of the yeah, it was so stark. It was just just amazing. It was beautiful. So that 58 tricolor, and I think the okay. 56 worked as well, uh, both greens. But I like the, the the stronger 58 better. Just just made that. Lowell band pop and and uh, the polar cap pop um, 
you know, of course, the rest of Mars is completely unnatural looking. Uh, didn't help any of the other features or okay. made them worse. But this is a specialty thing if you're really looking for that lower band or really want to bring it out. Um, and as the polar cap recedes, that lower band usually gets thinner and thinner and disappears. Yeah, Mars is a planet that I've struggled with, with filters. And I'm colorblind red and green. And I don't know if that has no. an effect on it. I'm sure it probably does. But yeah, well, yeah, no, it, it's not the filter that has effect. That that encases your eyes. I mean, so yeah. you know, green is a green is a color that's dominant on Mars. Right. Um, so if you're colorblind to that, then you're losing contrast on, on the features that are. Yeah, and I, you know, I've tried yellow filters and, yeah. and different red filters and things, yeah. trying to bring out the blue filters, trying to bring out some more detail. But it's and, and for people that don't understand what how how could Mars have green on it? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no vegetation uh, that, that we know of. But what, what, what users should really do is that they should get out of the astronomy market and go into the photography market mm. and, and, and start looking about the color wheel, uh, also in art, the, the color wheel and, and how those, um, and how it affects really black and white photography, the, the, the different right. filters. Because that's going to show you where, where it's going to bring contact contrast. And when you look at like Mars, which has a lot of browns on it, mm-hmm. when you look at the color wheel, you can say, okay, what combinations of colors can I use to make brown? And there's several. You can have several palettes of different three different colors to make brown. So Mars evidently in, in its browns has has green as one of the colors in the mix that makes the brown. Um, and and that's why that that filter kind of brings things out. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's always been a struggle for me. And it's just it's frustrating mm-hmm. uh, because of the color blindness. I don't know. But our next one that we're going to talk about is Jupiter. Now, Jupiter, I have no problem using color filters and seeing detail. <laughs> it's 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 an impressive sight with, mm-hmm. with with color filters. Talk about talk to me about your studies with Jupiter. Um, with Jupiter, just like Mars, it was the same thing overall. All all features, all aspects. The beta contrast booster uh, did the best job, and in particular in the poles, the poles are kind of hard sometimes to bring out details. Other than it's just a you know. A, a, it's a shade that's kind of uniform, um, but with the contrast booster, it, it starts bringing out some of the striations. Uh, the, the equatorial band is really a tough one uh, for me um, to get with the four inch. It's not always visible. It's usually very thin. It's between the two primary belts, the big belts. Um, but the contrast booster brings that thing out ni- nicely when, it, when it's there. Um, so that was by far the favorite. However, mm. the next favorite was really the 82A, which is a pale blue filter. And the reason is because blue is sort of like as a complementary color to red. So it makes the reds really pop. So the GRS really pops brightly as red uh, when, when, when you put a pale blue filter on, <clears throat> on there. So it was really kind of fun, fun to watch it with that filter because the red was just so enormously uh, bright and vibrant then. Um, on, on the planet it gives everything it's like it's like bluish cast to the other colors but okay but really brings out that red and if people are just looking for what's going to give me just a subtle improvement to everything on the planet and they don't want to you know go out for the uh, more expensive beta contrast booster then i found that the number eight yellow filter um, yeah did a good job of just subtle improvements to everything um, yeah I, I'm, in this process too i didn't clear in the beginning yeah i'm sorry no go on Oh, um, in this process, 
I basically had all, all, almost all the Rattan filters. And then there's this, uh, in, in stage lighting, there's these other filters called Roscoe filters, and they're gels uh, that they put in front of the big lamps that then shine on the stage. Well, I've got, so I got a, like a little sample book of like 250 different colors. Oh my. Um, of just everything you can imagine. And so I took probably 20 or 30 of those that my testing seemed to be useful. So basically on all the planets, I ran all 50, 50 plus filters in front really? of Really? Yeah, looking at these things, holding them in front of the eyepiece, like on the, the, with the long eye relief, because uh, that just made it easy. And was re really able to make you know assessments really quickly, which ones are really doing the best job to bring out everything rather than just, you know, one particular feature. Yeah, I don't believe I have an a, uh, 82A in my arsenal. I have an 80 that I've used yeah, on I Jupiter. Dark, I think, yeah. yeah it's, it's it's dark, but it really, to me, it really helped. I remember this one time I was at a star party, and I had my four-inch refractor out, and I was next to a, a C14, and we both were looking at Jupiter. And I put the bl blue 80 filter into my telescope, and the owner of the 14 came over, looked in mine, and goes, wow. That's a lot of detail. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's a refractor. And I was giving him oh, a bit of. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it depends to where the observer's preference lies. I mean, yeah. my, my preference is I, I'm, I'm very keen on looking at the very subtle details on okay. things and not the, the, on planets and not the big overt ones. So when you get into some of the darker filters, yeah, they'll, like you said, and like you saw, um, you know, the, the prominent features on the planet will darken up a lot. But then you'll lose the edge details. The edge details will kind of go away. Okay. Um, so the same thing with Mars. You you can put some like um, and, and use the thirty, uh, the magenta filter on there. The the Maria get a lot darker than with the contrast booster. But when you look at all the edge details, the edge details are now gone with, with the with with the magenta filter. But right. they're still there with the beta filter. So so you get to look at these you know small irregularities and, and those will kind of go away when you use the darker filters. Um, so, so my preference was, and my, my purpose was in this little examination is, you know, what's not going to, what's not going to be a specialty thing, uh, on a particular plant, but what just improves it overall for, for, for the view. Um, so, so you're looking at the light transmission, the amount of light that actually gets transmitted through the, you, you like, you like more light coming through as opposed to less. Yeah, because I, I want to get those those very subtle details that Got are it. the edges and borders of things and boundaries, and, and they'll all vanish away when you, get the, when you dim things too much. Got it. Okay. Especially, like, you know, you think about festoons on, on Jupiter, which are like little little wisps that come down between the uh, the northern belt and go into the equatorial region. If you, use, if you use, start using aggressive filters, color the image density, um, they'll dim those to the point where they disappear. <laughs> mm. Oh, uh, you know, and that's why I like the contrast booster because it brought a lot of those little subtle festoons that come out, which are you know, generally a little bit more difficult to see with the smaller aperture. Where are these Bader filters available? Um, well, of course, Bader Scientific sells okay. them out in, uh, out in Germany, but uh, Alpine uh, Astro here in the United States sells all the Bader products. Okay, and, and you can actually find them on other other places. Like I think uh, I know Agena Astro carries them, and I think BNH Photo might might carry them. Okay, well. and these screw into the back of eyepieces as well, or are they? Yeah, yeah, they're all okay. conventional one and a quarter. You know, if you want to spend the more money, two inch ones. Okay, okay, interesting.
For, for planetarium, I generally use one of the quarter filters. Right. Only, for, only for nebula filters do I usually use two inches. Yeah. yeah you don't I'm need... never using a two inch eyepiece on planetary. So. Yeah, no, I don't think I've ever done yeah. that. <laughs> like, except, to, except to find it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, cool. Now, what about Saturn? Saturn was a tough one. Um, really? Yeah, nothing really did a big deal on Saturn. I mean, um, you know, the thing with Saturn, too, is, too, is it, it's got very, it's almost like the moon in some respects. It's got very stark different contrasts, you know, when, when you look at the rings and the Cassini division and, and the planet orb and the bands, um, you, you got major things and they're very large gross features. And the reason they're large and gross is because Saturn's so much further away that only the really big stuff on it is visible within the resolution for for uh, for most of our scopes. I mean, you know, on Jupiter, you see all the little ovals. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, of course, the GRS, the festoons that come down. You can see even the eddies that go around the uh, around the GRS if you've got like a, an eight or a ten inch scope. Um, but with Saturn, it's so much further out in distance that any of those small features like that on the planet, you just can't see. You see the big bands and 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 the big divisions. Um, you know, when I when I was using a 10-inch scope on Saturn and using very specialized eyepieces like a TMB uh, monocentrics, then I was able to actually pick up some small storms in some of the bands. Um, and and so that was kind of cool, but it, it it's it's very difficult because the planet's so far away. So anyway, so the 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 color filters didn't really do a whole bunch. Okay. Uh, uh, again, the beta contrast boost boosters seem to boost all the contrast relatively and all the features nicely. The the Cassini division got a lot uh, darker as well, and, and then. If you didn't want to do that, the, the, the number eight yellow or the V2A blue also both, both did uh, well for subtle improvement uh, just overall um, and without casting too much of a different color cast to the planet. Uh, and then as a specialty thing, I know a lot of uh, especially beginners like to try to get the Cassini decision right. problems, but uh, the, the number 15 dark yellow filter really accentuated it uh the, the, the yellows to the eye seem to the brights get kind of brighter when you put a yellow on there mm -hmm. uh, uh, so it looked at the brights and the rings and then that dark band then just became more contrasted um <clears throat> so that was kind of nice yeah i've always used like the light yellow on saturn yeah it brings out just enough detail yeah and you're working within the thing you know the saturn's all warm colors anyway right yellows and blues, so so the yellows kind of, kind of work work with with the planet, not against it, and keep the color palette that you're looking at somewhat familiar uh, for the planet. Interesting. But wow. you know, my, my overall takeaway after I did this because I've never really used filters much, so okay. you know, after doing lots of testing and other things, I decided, okay, it's time. Let me just get all the filters and keep on reading these things all mm -hmm. over the website and. About, it seems like every filter is good for something on a planet, the way they, they have on uh, all the marketing. No, it's the marketing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and but for me, it was like, no, this isn't, this isn't panning out like this. So, there's only these lighter filters, especially when you're working at planetary exit pupils, that, that really had a benefit and, you know, I was more interested in trying to keep the color palette of the planet more natural, so I didn't want to make, you know, a... Uh, 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 
an orangey, yellowy planet now all of a sudden look you know, green or look blue. Um, yeah. Yeah. I only put the green filter in when I look at the moon at star parties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, it, this is really interesting. I want to shout out real quick to Cloudy Nights, too, for publishing your your article because there's a lot of good information on that website. If, if those of you yeah, that, have never they, been to cloudy nights, you really should check it out. Yeah. They're pretty great. There's a ton of people there too. A ton mm-hmm. of smart people that know their stuff. Uh, so it, it's a good community to get lots of feedback on. It's all very active, uh, all their forms. So it's, uh, some forms you make a post and you know, you'll get one, two replies and that's it. But, uh, and cloudy nights you put a post and then by the next day you got like 30 replies and yeah you just keep getting more yeah it's 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 People pretty well and it's 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 not a fancy website either it's an old school no, no, you know yeah. you know yeah it's 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 nice it's not hard to navigate either yeah no, really good yeah. reviews of uh instruments and and optics yeah. on there and, and like and like your article What's really good about it is the moderators, uh, they're all volunteers, but mm-hmm. they make sure everybody stays in line. So they keep it as an online community, they keep it a safe place Yep. Uh, where you're not going to get yelled at by people or ridiculed by people. Uh, and if you do, you just push a little button on there, uh, report the moderator and they shut that down. They shut that person down real quick. Um, so and no one should be afraid about, you know, putting stupid questions on there. People aren't mm-hmm. going to ridicule you. If they are going to ridicule you, either you can stop it or someone else is going to come to your rescue on the board and stop right. it for you by telling a moderator uh, because you, you you just don't need that. No, <laughs> I agree. Uh, people have egos that are so big that they need to, <laughs> to meet other people. They need to go someplace else. Yeah. <laughs> so if you were to recommend, let's say, a top five color filters or filters for people to purchase to help them do some lunar and planetary observing, what would you recommend? Um, mine would be, again, if you can get that contrast booster, that that's that's sort of like the gold standard for all the planets. It does well across all the planets. Okay. Um, it's, yeah, I think it's about a hundred bucks though for, for a, a one and a quarter inch filter. Um, minus that, if you want to, Stay with the inexpensive stuff, then uh, I think a polarizer is 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 a must for especially if you're going to try some daytime stuff or or uh, or on the moon. It, it moon tends to be a little bit more effective. I found at least in the neutral density filters I had that I was getting clearer views with the polarizer uh, than with neutral density. So I, I mm. stayed with the polarizer if I just want to reduce light um, to get things a little dimmer. So I think a polarizer is an important one, and then you know, like a number eight. Uh, that that light yellow, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the the lighter of the of the blues. Uh, so that was um, the lighter one is what the eighty two. Eighty two A, yeah, yeah. The eighty two A is the lighter one. That's got seventy three percent transmission. And and you know it, you, the fifty six green or the fifty eight green, either one of the two. Okay. Uh, the fifty six. So I I think those. Um, Oh yeah, and then that twenty-three A light red, mm-hmm. and, and and most of these filters and those are. Those will do most everything. So yeah, and and they're relatively inexpensive. Oh yeah, you if you hunt around, you can get some for, you know, sometimes five bucks. Yeah, um, on a site, in some places get more expensive with twelve, and then you know, yeah. some some people sell really high end ones which can go. Thirty dollars uh, and stuff because they're they've got guarantees on, on what they're away from, so right, like right. But, uh, 
Yeah, but if if you're interested in lunar and planetary I I did all the inexpensive ones that was, you know, for the color filters. I didn't want to get into all that expense because I needed to try them all. Yeah, and, no, and, and this is this it makes it available. Yeah, and this makes it available to yeah. all amateurs. Mm-hmm. And that's what I how do yeah, so, so they're fun. None of them are required. I I think you know you if you have good good seeing, of course, you can see all the details that will be uh, satisfying on the planets. So this is just to give them a little boost and 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 make things a little bit starker, a little bit more contrasted, easier to see uh, with these filters. Um, so again, they're they're not something where they're going to make my bad view look good. <laughs> they're going to make your good view look a little better. Yeah, you got you got to have a good view every, to begin every with. Every observer's goal. Yeah, every observer's goal would should be let me get my view that I have without filters good. Yeah, uh, which means you know really working on your collimation of your scope, especially with Newtonians or an SCT, uh, and then if you use diagonals, really paying attention because diagonals. It's not like a rose, you know, a rose is a rose is a rose. Well, mm-hmm. diagonal, not a diagonal, not a diagonal. <laughs> there are some dielectrics out there that are really not nice for, for planetary uh, because they, they just add too much scatter and they, they, they tone down all the colors or wash them out um, type of deal. So, you know, you have to get the better varieties. I and mean, if you go with the Telview or the astrophysics, uh, you're, you're, you're going to be at the upper tier then or the more right. debater the beta ones but you know if you're, you're playing russian roulette if you're using uh the the, the cheapy dielectrics um, i would go with a a conventional mirror diagonal over a dielectric or, or mm-hmm. you know of course prism is my first choice it's true true well bill this is great i really want to thank you for coming on and talking about this article and I will put a link to the article in the show notes so if anybody is interested in seeing it uh, they can and then they can contact you directly like I did through Starry Nights or Cloudy yes, Nights. I'm sorry. Uh, cloudy Nights. And, uh, and on Cloudy Nights, I also have my email address. And, okay. And I welcome people doing that as well. Great. Well, I thank you once again for coming on. Thank you very much, Tim. All right. You have a good one. All right. All right, well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank our special guest, Bill Paolini, for coming on and giving us a very interesting discussion on the use of color filters for lunar and planetary observing. It's really changed my thoughts on what uh, filters to use, and I highly recommend you head over to Cloudy Nights and read his complete article and analysis. It's very, very interesting. Uh, there's a link for that in the show notes. We upload a new episode of The Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I do appreciate it. You can also listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and that Amazon Echo thing that listens to every word you say in your house. You can help support this podcast by donating to it via via Patreon. You can give up to $35 a month 
where you'll receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer, for their continued generous support of the Observer's Notebook. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the ALPO, is available in the show notes. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at ObserversNBPod. Until next time, I hope as you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening, and stay healthy, my friends. <laughs>